Chapter 12, Reconstructing Family Government. The family is a divinely ordained institution that is not instituted or controlled by the state, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, 24. The state does not create the family and therefore cannot define it. There are what Alvin Toffler calls a bewildering array of family forms, homosexual marriages, communes, groups of elderly people banding together to share experiences and sometimes sex, tribal grouping among certain ethnic minorities, and many other forms coexist as never before. These counterfeit families attempt to restructure the family around an evolving order rather than a biblical model. Whoever defines the family controls it. The family is the original and primary God-ordained society from which church, school, business, state, and every other enterprise and associations arise. The family serves as a societal force, extending dominion through the establishment of additional families, Genesis 2.24. The many family units work throughout society to establish churches, schools, business establishments, and various voluntary associations, all under God's one government using scripture as the blueprint for activity and order. The monolithic centralized state sees the decentralized family order as a threat. The state seeks centralization, while the biblical family's ordained structure represents decentralization. The scene at the construction of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 depicts an attempt to centralize family, church, and political entities. Many family and tribal names were merged into one name designated by the builders of Babel. Genesis 10 lists the many nations by their names. The building of the tower and the consolidation of the nations were acts of rebellion against God's original dominion mandate to be fruitful and multiply according to families. Compare Genesis 1, 26 through 28 to 24. How can the family restore Christian civilization? We must recognize the binding character of God's covenant structure for this lawfully ordained system of government. Each institution is separate from the others. Yet each is dependent. All are sovereign, but none is absolutely sovereign. We must assert the family's separate yet dependent existence from both church and state. Hierarchy. Second, the family must maintain itself as a God-ordained authority structure. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, 6, 1, Colossians 3, 20. The family can exercise its authority by disciplining its members. Unfaithful children can be disinherited. The totalitarian state works for the breakdown of the family authority by abolishing the biblical concept of headship. Many states have legislated the abolition of the biblical concept of head of household. Many special interest groups want to make children equal authorities with their parents. This effectually makes the state the real home where children are to be nurtured and educated. If parents are found to be unfit, a condition solely defined by the state, the state can remove children and make them wards of the state. Rush Dooney writes, Man is responsible to God for his use of the earth and must, as a faithful governor, discharge his calling only in terms of his sovereign's royal decree or word. His calling confers also on him an authority by delegation. To man is given authority by God over his household and over the earth. In the Marxist scheme, the transfer of authority from the family to the state makes any talk of the family as an institution ridiculous. The family is to all practical intent abolished whenever the state determines the education, vocation, religion, and the discipline of the child. With the collapse of the family or the denial of the family's authority, 
A nation rapidly moves into social anarchy. God, as the source of the family's authority, has located immediate authority in the father or husband. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. When the father abdicates, or certain interest groups deny his authority, social rebellion, as described in Isaiah 3:12, results. Women become rulers and children are looked upon as authority equals with the same rights and privileges as their parents. Parents are oppressed in such a view of authority. A crisis in leadership forms, compare Judges 4. The result is social collapse and captivity, Isaiah 3:16 through 26. For women, it is a time of reproach or disgrace, Isaiah 4:1. The first government we recognize as children is the family. If parents lose the respect and obedience of their children within the family, they most certainly are going to lose them to the broader culture. Some of what I'm suggesting might not seem to relate to Jesus as ruler of the nations, but I assure you it does. We're talking about family government. What your children learn in the home will be taken to the workplace and the political arena. Our job is to produce leaders, not followers. Family discipline is essential to good government. Children must learn biblical principles relating to self-government so that they eventually will not reject family government for the proposed security of the state. One primary way we can discipline children is by teaching them biblical truth about private property. Too often we ask the state to confiscate money from the more productive members of society to redistribute it to the less productive members, presumably in the name of fairness and justice. Gary North writes, If the concept of private property is worth defending, and if personal responsibility is the moral basis of private property, the family must be the scene of the child's introduction to the responsibilities of ownership. Money received in transfer payments comes from other families. In effect, some families use state power to plunder other families. The family provides a training ground for world leadership, for it is the first institution in which people learn fellowship. Church leadership is also to be cultivated in the family. The church leader must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? 1 Timothy 3, 4-5 Civil leadership also develops out of family leadership. The choice of rulers in Israel was based on prior leadership in the family and tribe. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes. Deuteronomy 1, 13 Compare Exodus 18, 17-26 1 Samuel 2, 12-17 22-36 Paul gives us a hint of the extension of godly leadership into the world. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 1 Corinthians 6.2 Ethics, Law, Dominion Third, parents must teach their children the law of God. The Bible is very clear about this. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 Without an understanding that it is God who has laid down the law, children will not clearly recognize the nature of family authority. They will be tempted to rebel or to transfer their loyalty to the gang, the state, or some rival institution. As they get older, they will no longer be impressed with the answer, because I say so, to the question, why should I do what you say? This is why God first lays down the law to parents, as we have seen. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, Family government begins with self-government. God's government is inside-out government. 
As Gary North demonstrates in his economic commentary on the Bible, the Sinai Strategy, 1986, the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal, Exodus 2015, is placed under the third point in the Biblical Covenant, meaning the Law and Dominion section. This law against theft establishes the legality of and the mandatory nature of the institution of private property. The family is closely tied to private property, Exodus 20.12, and the abolition of private property requires the destruction of the family, 1 Kings 21. Private property is attached to the biblical mandate of dominion. Judgment Sanctions Fourth, the Bible teaches that God's covenant places all men under dual sanctions, blessings and cursings. Sometimes this system is called the carrot and the stick. The family is the first institution that brings to the attention of children the inescapable reality of this dual covenant sanction program. God uses this system of punishment against mankind. It is called heaven and hell. It has earthly manifestations that are to remind us of the eternal consequences of both covenantal faithfulness and covenantal disobedience. The longest list of these dual sanctions is found in Deuteronomy 28, blessings 1 through 14, and cursings 15 through 68. God brings the rod of correction to adults, and the Bible even speaks of these punishments in the language of spankings. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Proverbs 10:13. Parents are to train their children in the knowledge of God. This is why they are to use the rod of correction on their younger children. Parents are told that he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 13:24. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it from him. Proverbs 22:15. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Proverbs 23:13. These guidelines to proper child rearing are all governed by the general principle of the love of God for his people. We deal with our children as he deals with us. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.32 This verse appears in the middle of the section on self-judgment prior to taking the Lord's Supper in church. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Verse 31 Self-judgment should replace external judgment as we mature in the faith. It is the substitution of self-judgment for external judgment that is the mark of maturity, and therefore the mark of freedom under Christ. This is why spankings no longer work with older children who have not learned self-government, and why church officers and even civil officers need to be called in to judge chronic juvenile delinquents, Deuteronomy 21.18. This is why the family is not an independent institution, but a dependent one, but it was never intended by God that it be dependent solely on the state. Inheritance, Legitimacy, Continuity Fifth, the family is to care for its own members, 1 Timothy 5.8. Rita Kramer writes, We have asked institutions, the government, the schools, to undertake to direct human nature. The paradox is that as our aims have become increasingly humanitarian, our means have become increasingly controlling. If we control our own families, we must take responsibility for family affairs and not turn over family government to another family, or to the church, the school, or the state. Too many families willingly sacrifice their children to such statist institutions as the public schools, daycare centers, and welfare agencies. The family must be the child's first school. The family must provide basic Christian teaching rather than turning all education over to the church or the school. 
This means daily instruction in the Bible, prayer, and worship. School and church should supplement these family activities, not replace them. Parents must be overseers of their children's education. North writes, Education is the moral responsibility of parents. They are the ones who must determine whether or not their children are being taught the truth. They are responsible before God for the rearing of their children. They are held responsible even for the content of their children's education. This is why it is a great responsibility to bring children into the world. Unfortunately, many parents turn over their educational responsibilities to the state. Parents must start schools and take a direct stake in their child's education. This means praying for the services daily. Where parents are dissatisfied with the quality of education presently received, they can demonstrate their displeasure by enrolling their children elsewhere. This is not an option in the public school, i.e. state school monopoly. The family is a welfare institution. Parents should prepare for the time when they may be unable to work. Government retirement funds should not be considered. Children should share financial hardship within the immediate family and, where possible, within the extended family. For this reason, the firstborn son is entitled to a double portion of the family's estate, Deuteronomy 21.17. He has the responsibility of caring for his incapacitated parents. North states, The state in modern times has become the eldest son. Estate taxes in some nations will take virtually the whole of very wealthy estates. Families are forced to sell off lands and family heirlooms in order to pay estate taxes. The state has asserted its position as the pseudo-family, and now it demands payment for its services. The family, therefore, should be future-directed. We should make decisions with our children's children in mind, Psalm 78, 1-8. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, Proverbs 13, 22. Where to begin? The family is in disarray today, which is why society in general and politics specifically are also in disarray. The covenantal administration of God is a unit. A breakdown in just one area is called to a halt before it can affect everything else. Only when society reaches a crisis stage are all the institutions in crisis, because men are in comprehensive sin and comprehensive rebellion. They therefore need comprehensive salvation and comprehensive restoration. The family must be reconstructed alongside of the church and the state. Transcendence, Presence It must be made clear to all children that God is the head of the household. The father is a priest who conducts family worship services daily. The family must become God-centered in every way, including family ritual. It is the God-centered nature of the family which teaches children about the God-centered nature of reality. Their primary reality for many years is the family. If this environment is not self-consciously God-centered, then they will not learn to think instinctively of all aspects of reality as God-centered. God-centered thinking must be taught, now that men are born sinners and under the curse. God is far above man in terms of his being, power, mind, and vision, but he is also present. Nothing escapes his view. Children must be taught early that God sees, even if parents don't. God remembers, even if parents don't. God brings judgment, even if parents don't. Understanding this is the first step to achieving self-government under God. Authority, Hierarchy Fathers are to exercise final authority in the family. This means that wives must be visibly in subjection to husbands. If they aren't, then the children learn fast that the father's authority is not enforceable in the household. 
Wives who challenge their husbands in word and deed are setting the pattern for their own children, who will learn the subtle and not-so-subtle arts of moral and institutional rebellion from the mother. This is why Paul begins his instructions regarding family authority with a warning to wives to obey their husbands, Ephesians 5:22 through 24 Then he goes on to warn children to be obedient to parents, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. The familiar phrase of mothers, wait till your father gets home, is proper. Fathers must back up the threats of mothers. As soon as the father walks through the door at night, the wife must immediately inform him of any major infraction of the rules. Judgment should not be delayed. This may not please fathers who want a little peace and quiet at home, but peace and quiet are not automatic benefits given by God to those whose work is not yet done. The child who is to be dealt with must not learn that he can avoid punishment by becoming an instant nice person when he hears father's car in the driveway. Mothers are not to defer all judgment to fathers. The normal transgressions of children, especially younger children, must be dealt with immediately or they'll forget. They will have very short memories. Only as they grow older can they fully appreciate the threat of father's arrival hours later. Furthermore, the judgment of fathers is traditionally more severe, so children may spend the day worrying. They should worry this way only when infractions are major. But if they really are major, then the day of worrying is appropriate. Had Adam and Eve worried more before God's return, they might have come to repentance before full judgment was handed down. Mothers, if they do not have to work, should try to stay home during the child's preschool years, especially if the children will have to be put in daycare centers. Fathers should take extra care in spending time with the children after work. The old adage of quality time, not quantity time, does not hold water. Children like to be around their parents. Make it easy for them. Do things as a family. Husbands should not exclude wives, and mothers and fathers should not exclude their children. This will mean taking your children to a variety of activities. Children eventually get used to being left out. When they get into their teen years, they will often start leaving you out. Ethics, Law, Dominion Have children. God commands this as part of the Dominion Covenant, Genesis 1, 26-28. Don't let the population explosion people lead you astray. The populations of Western industrial society are threatened by falling birth rates. The replacement rate is 2.1 children per family. In virtually no West European nation, the U.S. or Canada, is it above 1.8 children per family. In Italy, it has collapsed to about 1.5. If you have any questions about the nonsense of the PEP, I suggest you read The Myth of Overpopulation by R.J. Rushduni and The Economics and Politics of Race by Thomas Sowell. The humanists are killing their future through abortion. Many are not having children or are limiting the size of their families. This is a great opportunity for Christians to overwhelm them with numbers. The following anti-child statements will give some idea of the opportunity we have of winning the future by default if we only have more children. We could not lead the kind of life we have if we had kids. I'd rather buy a vacation home than funnel a large chunk of our income into a trust fund for our children. We've made our choice for freedom and spontaneity. Our cats can take care of themselves, and we're free. I've seen the other couples lose a closeness they had before deciding to have children. I guess I'm selfish. I'm just not ready to sacrifice my time to a kid. This world is a crazy place to raise a kid. I find the whole idea of pregnancy repugnant. I'm not wild about children. 
Begin educating your children at an early age. Teach them the Bible. There are numerous Bible trivia games that will make learning interesting. If you're not able to teach the Bible to your children, then insist that your church begin a course to help parents teach the Bible. I also recommend that you take an active part in your children's learning at a very early age. Don't wait until they're in kindergarten before you teach them how to read and write. As soon as your children are born, you should begin to teach them that they are children of God and thus responsible to Him for all things. You could make your children responsible by not doing everything for them. They should pick up their toys, yes, the same day, and say please and thank you. Yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. They should be given responsible work around the house. Mom should not be left with all the housework. Let the children pitch in and help. This is where self-government begins. They can learn at an early age to set the table, put the flatware away, clean up after meals, help dad with the yard work, wash the car, and a host of other chores. Read to your children daily. Let them see you read. Teach them difficult words. They need to hear words like government, epistemology, metaphysics, and presuppositions. Go through the dictionary and let your children pronounce words as you read them aloud. Children should have their own books and begin a library of their own. This means teaching them to care for books. In the end, children should be more interested in buying a new book than the latest Top 40 album or designer jeans. Of course, don't overdo it. Children are still children, but they should appreciate reading books and education in general. Set up weekly family meetings to discuss concerns, goals, problems, and potential problems. This is a way of keeping your children informed on the many activities you're involved in. As your children get older, these meetings will keep you abreast of their growing activity calendar. Discuss and agree on plans and goals. This meeting is not to be democratic. You aren't the Brady Bunch or eight is enough. You are father knows best. At least the father should be after counsel with his wife. Of course, daily communication with your children is a must if you don't want to lose them to the latest ideology. Judgment Sanctions One phrase should never become part of any parent's vocabulary. Do as I say, not as I do. All government begins with self-government. God so loved the world that he placed his only begotten son under the terms of the covenant and punished him with the punishment we deserve by nature so that we will not suffer eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 14 through 15. From the beginning, he placed himself under the terms of his own covenant when he moved through Abraham's cut-up animals in the form of a smoking oven and a flaming torch. Genesis 15:17. God did as he said, we are to do the same. Children are to be punished with punishments that fit their disobedient behavior, just as in civil government the punishment should fit the crime. Furthermore, the punishment should be specified in advance. As in civil government, punishments should not be imposed without warning. Parents have to think through the life of a child and say in advance what must not be done. Children are entitled to at least one warning, but warnings endlessly repeated and seldom enforced are self-defeating. Specified punishments should be sure. They are not to be imposed only when the parent feels like it. The parent's word is law. If a parent knows that he will not be consistent in enforcing a specific infraction with a specific penalty, he should impose a different penalty. As in civil justice, the predictability of the judgment is of greater effect in controlling crime than the magnitude of the punishment. The parent's word must be respected. If the parent does not respect his own word by fulfilling what he has promised, then the children will not learn to respect the parent's word. 
They will learn how to wheedle their way out of judgment. There will be no wheedling on God's day of final judgment. Children should not think of law as a system that can be beaten by manipulating the emotions of parents. As children grow older, the rewards and punishments must change. Punishments more and more must take the form of removing desirable benefits rather than the imposition of physical sanctions. For example, supervise the use of the automobile. It should become an earned privilege, not an automatic benefit. Set rules as to who will pay for gas, automobile insurance, and general maintenance. Be sure all family members wear a seatbelt at all times. This is an aspect of self-government. Supervise dating. Dating is another earned privilege. You should always know where your children are. If plans change, then they should call you. Stiff discipline should be imposed when the rules are broken. Make the punishment fit the crime. Inheritance, legitimacy, continuity. Start a family business. This will help you work together as a family. Diversify your income. Bring in extra income help with taxes, and teach your children a trade that could turn into quite a business enterprise. Encourage your children to set daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly goals. They must become future-oriented. This is the essence of upper-class thinking. It is the foundation of upper-class income and responsibility. Take your children to libraries, museums, historical sites, anti-abortion rallies. Encourage them to visit the sick and help the poor. Give them an appreciation for good art, music, literature, and poetry. Keep the radios in the house tuned to classical stations. The upper-class cultural achievements of Western civilization should be in front of them on a regular basis. This means, of course, that parents must learn to appreciate and understand this heritage. Apprentice your older children during the summer months, if possible. The experience and skills they will pick up will be their pay. Let them try their hands at carpentry, plumbing, farming, computer programming, auto maintenance, journalism, neighborhood newspapers, church newsletters, etc., small appliance repair, etc. Every child should learn how to type and operate a computer. Teach your children how to spend money and the principle of deferred gratification. What does it really cost to play a video game? Get them started saving for college. Let them see you pay the bills each month. Teach them the principle of debt-free living, or at least short-term debt living. Take them shopping to teach them how to look for the best deals, not the cheapest items. You get what you pay for. Teach your children that welfare begins in the home. They must learn to care for themselves. This will mean working for a living. Even if you have money to lavish on your children, don't. If you must give them something expensive, give them a useful tool. Make it clear that you are doing everything in your power to care for yourselves as you approach old age, but if anything unforeseen happens, your children are going to be responsible, not the state. Teach them to tithe 10% of their money income, including gifts. Teach them to save 10% too. It doesn't seem fair or responsible to force them to tithe and save the equivalent money of Christmas and birthday presents, but they can tithe and save Christmas and birthday money. Since they have been given the authority to spend this present as they please, they have been given a new degree of responsibility. The primary wage earner should prepare for the possibility of a premature death. A term life insurance policy of at least 250000 is necessary. You should be able to decrease the amount as you get older and your responsibilities decrease. Also, leave an inheritance to your children. Disinherit the unfaithful. Work for the elimination of the social security program. Look what a family could do on its own. 
a wife can buy a 250,000 term life insurance policy for her 25-year-old husband for under $20 a month. This will protect her family in the event of his death. While the husband is still alive and his wife and family are protected by the policy on him, the family could save nearly $2,500 plus interest that would have gone to the Social Security program. All in all, the family would be much better off financially. As he gets older, the cost of term insurance increases, but the need for such coverage decreases if an individual has saved a percentage of his income every year. If the average worker at age 25 saved $2,549 per year and invested at 6% interest after taxes, he will accumulate $394,483 by the time he is 65. This is for funds compounded annually. If interest were compounded quarterly, as many private institutions compound in order to be competitive, the effective interest rate would be 6.14% and the savings total at age 65 would be even greater. There are many investment opportunities that pay more than 6%. Each year, $2,549 saved and invested at 7% would produce $508,857 in 40 years. At 8%, the total would be $660,344. With a sum of $394,483 invested at 6%, the retired individual could draw $1,972 monthly, or $23,644 per year. Compare this with the maximum monthly payment of $981 that a couple could receive under Social Security. Now, it is important to take note of another important difference under this private savings plan versus Social Security. The $1,972 per month under the private plan is an interest payment. They can go on drawing interest at this rate, 6%, until they die. And they can follow the injunction of Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 13.22. Do not depend on Social Security for retirement. Vote for those who will phase out the system. Why? In 1937, the Social Security tax was 2% of a maximum $3,000 yearly income. The maximum tax that could be collected from any one citizen was $60 per year. In 1973, the taxable wage base was $10,800. In 1974, it was $13,200. In 1980, it went up to $25,900. And in 1985, the total was $42,000. As we'll see, even the percentage of tax taken has gone up from 2% to over 7% for both employees and employers. Stay out of debt, especially long-term debt. The Bible tells us that the debtor is a slave to the lender, Proverbs 22.7. There is little peace of mind, and your creditors determine your financial priorities. When investment opportunities arise, money is not often available because it must go to pay debts. The debtor is tied to the past. When emergencies arise, money is not available. Most indebtedness is for depreciating items. If financed items must be liquidated in an emergency to pay unforeseen expenses, great losses are the result. For example, most automobiles lose value immediately after you drive them off the lot. Real estate is a possible exception to long-term indebtedness. Real estate is usually an appreciating item. Buying a house as an investment in anticipation of increased inflation and therefore an appreciation in the price of your house so you can sell your house in order to purchase a more expensive house is a mistake. Betting on a state-manipulated economy will leave you holding a house that you may not be able to sell. We all have to live somewhere. A family can either rent for a certain amount per month 
and have nothing after 30 years or buy for slightly more money than a rental price and acquire property. The risks are not that great for the lending institution. If you happen to default, the lending institution takes possession and can sell it. Of course, this does not help your credit rating. The 30-year mortgage is not ideal, however. There is a psychological burden that goes with a 30-year debt. There are some alternatives to the 30-year mortgage. For example, a 15-year mortgage can save a bundle. This might mean purchasing a smaller home than you would like to have. Here are some of your alternatives on a $70,000, 13% fixed rate mortgage. 30-year monthly, $770 regular payments, 30-year term, 208762 total interest paid. 30-year bi-weekly, 387 regular payments due, 18 years effective term, 111907 total interest paid. 15-year monthly, $886 regular payments, effective term, 15 years, $89,421 total interest paid. Here are some advantages to a quick pay loan. 1. A young couple with, say, a 15-year loan will create enough value to refinance the house when their children reach 18 and pay for college. 2. Homeowners who quick pay will find it easier to trade up to a better house because they'll get more cash when the old house is sold. 3. Only a quick pay loan can guarantee that a middle-aged couple will have a paid-up house when they retire. 4. Extra savings put into your house instead of the bank will build up tax-deferred. Be aware of legislation directed at the family. There are laws on the books where your underage daughter can get an abortion without your consent. Know the law and work for its defeat. Read your state's laws concerning parents' rights. A number of parents or a group of parents could hire a lawyer or ask someone to speak to you about what the law says. Under no circumstances should you volunteer information to state or local officials who are sent to your home to investigate. Refer them to your lawyer, either retained by you or a group of concerned parents. Lobby your legislators on crucial family issues. Read John W. Whitehead's Parents' Rights and Mary Pride's The Child Abuse Industry, both published by Crossway Books, Westchester, Illinois, 60153. Education is the responsibility of parents. See Robert Thorpe Byrne, The Children Trap, in this series. You might want to educate your children at home during the first few years. You'll need at least two books, Mary Pride, The Big Book of Home Learning, The Complete Guide to Everything Educational for You and Your Children, Westchester, Illinois, Crossway Books, 1986, and John W. Whitehead and Wendell R. Byrd, Home Education and Constitutional Liberties, Westchester, Illinois, Crossway Books, 1984. Take your children out of the public schools. Start a private school of your own, either for profit or parent-controlled, but associated with a church. Since you are paying for the schooling directly, you will pay more attention to the kind of education your children are getting or not getting, whatever the case may be. Money talks. Yank your children out if you can't get any satisfaction or movement with the administration. Encourage the school to teach foreign languages, public speaking, philosophy, apologetics, and ethics. Utilize talented parents to teach specialized courses as mini-courses. Make sure your homeschool network is under some church and is considered a Christian school. This is to put the church as a buffer between the family and the pagan state. Moreover, such an arrangement makes you accountable to someone. Summary. Humanism has given up on the family. Humanists are literally destroying their future through abortion. 
By just having children, the world could be ours in the next 20 years by default. But we must use the family setting as a training ground for the future. Our children must be given hope that there is a future. They need skills. They need leadership qualities. The state is not a substitute for the family. It cannot care for us. The state has no heart. The home is a child's first school, his first business, his first church, and his first government. From the family, he will gain the experiences necessary to encounter and engage life. The world is looking for leaders. The family is the place to turn them out.